0: Welcome to the fifth episode of Tokyo Alumni Podcast. Today, our guest graduated from ASIJ in 2004. He went on to earn a communications degree at Pace University in New York. Upon graduation, he worked for Morgan Stanley, and then he went on to work for Weber Shanwick, where he specifically focused on bringing the 2020 Olympics, well, now the 2021 Olympics, to Tokyo. Upon leaving the PR firm, he would go on to work for Expedia, and very recently, he went back to school to earn a master's in international education, and since then, he has taught for two years in Ecuador as an economics teacher, and currently teaches economics at a school in China. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew.
1: Welcome. Welcome, welcome to me, I guess. Um, good to see you. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank, thank you for uh, joining us today. So, Not at all. I wanted to ask you, um, the 2020 Olympics. I mean, obviously a lot has been going around Mm -hmm. currently, but there was quite a bit prior to that to actually get the Olympics to Tokyo. And you were part of that team. Um, I was wondering if you would like to share any episodes and your experience bringing the Tokyo Olympics to Tokyo.
1: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It's a a pretty interesting, fascinating story, I think personally, but I would like to say that I had a personal huge role in the whole quote unquote, bringing the Olympics to Tokyo. I don't know how accurate of a statement that is, but basically, yeah, so you kind of briefly touched on it during your introduction, introduction of me, for me. But our, the company I was working at, this PR agency called Weber Shanwick, has long had, um, I'm not sure if connections is the right word, but has had work with Olympic committees, trying to get um, Olympics to certain cities, whether that's Paris, Beijing, there's all these PR agencies behind the scenes, um, trying to get involved, um, in supporting Olympic bids, so to speak. And Weber Shanwick, I didn't know, I was oblivious to this back before I entered the company, before I was hired, but upon my hiring, I was told that actually Weber Shanwick has had this extensive um, experience with Olympic bids. And actually for those of you guys who don't know, including you, Nikki, maybe you might recall that uh, Tokyo actually tried to bring the Olympics to 2000, into Tokyo in 2016 as well. Uh, Obviously Rio won that as well. But anyways, uh, with respect to my role, which is maybe more interesting, um, it was basically media relations, right? Our our company, uh, Weber Shanwich, was hired by the Tokyo 2020 Organizing Committee slash Tokyo Metropolitan Government to kind of help them in their Olympic bid internationally. So the Tokyo office, the Paris office, the London office, we were all involved with them um, in terms of organizing press events, in terms of... um, Distributing press releases just developing media relations uh, period for me. It was definitely exciting um, Compared to previous job opportunities. I had and I'm a sports aficionado to put it mildly as well So the sole fact that I got to kind of finally make my passion my job So to speak was pretty cool and I'll be lying if I didn't tell you that I felt patriotic about the whole experience as well Given me being half American half Japanese growing up in Japan. You know, albeit at an international school um, long hours for sure and the uh, cultural differences so to speak uh, It was like samurai to the maximum you know <laughs> to keep it, to keep it diplomatic you know what i mean uh, at tokyo at the tokyo metropolitan government it was tough man long hours you know i believe in work life balance it was it was brutal but i guess a couple of things really helped me out but um I had a French colleague who I'm still close to the state with nothing to do with ASJ. One of my closest friends in Japan has nothing to do with the international school community. Uh, him and I kind of bonded together. He's a couple years younger than me. Um, we bonded very closely. Um, and without his kind of not support, but without having each other, kind of, you know, have fun and kind of survive the day, it would have been tough. Um, and on a more kind of big level, the fact that we had a goal, right? I think I started working there in 2013, January. I think no sorry 2012 January and then the bid was going to be decided in 2013 September so in other words I had like a year and a half to you know kind of just go go for this goal so to speak right like okay let's bring this Olympics here so I could talk forever but a couple anecdotes off the top of my head like not anecdotes necessarily but just kind of meeting celebrities right that, that was feels cool especially at a younger age right kind of becoming acquainted with olympic athletes actually now that i'm remembering uh, i remember doing an interview with carl lewis right at the oh, wow. national stadium yeah. and that, that was cool you know and again it was the privilege i have for being like, literally the only bilingual bicultural person um in this organization and um i didn't i think we're not the carl lewis generation i think but still like you know <laughs> it was a little even, before even I, yeah right right but even we've heard of him you know and so but he was he was, well, he was nice and um on a I wasn't, naive, I wasn't as excited, but I got to interview like uh, the Japanese, I don't know, super sports figure, for lack of a better way to put it, called Amasada um, Mao as well. So that was kind of cool, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that was really nice. And I got to meet politicians too, um, not to imply um, they were the nicest necessarily, but yeah, it was cool. You know, it was busy, it was, it was rough, long hours, but like anything in life, in hindsight, it was a great
0: experience. When you were working on this project, was your time at the company exclusively focused on the 2020 Olympics? So the moment you guys won the bid, um, was that when you knew you were ready to move on in regards to your career or was that also sort of part of the contract that once that deal was set that, you know, a lot of people who were part of that project, a lot of them were just moving on to other fields?
1: That's a pretty fun question, and so uh, me personally, I, had, I was oblivious to Weber Shanwick having any uh, connection with the Olympic movement whatsoever, right? So I got in there, and then I was, and I was quickly told by some people that uh, Weber Shanwick has long uh, had um, experiences with Olympic bids. Again, whether it's with, I can't remember, you know, you know got a fact check on which bids, but I think, I remember Sochi for the winter, Beijing 2008. I can't remember, maybe Paris 2024, was it? I can't remember. Et cetera, et cetera, right? So, but anyways, to try to answer your question. So, me personally, initially, I was not hired necessarily for the Olympic bid. Like, when I joined, the Olympic bid was already with Weber Shanwick. And then I was supposed to kind of um, work on other, um, if I may be blunt, more like mundane kind of PR work. And it wasn't that exciting you know um I, I don't, no need to drop any names i guess the pharmaceutical companies tech companies i don't know it wasn't that exciting right and so and then some people told me uh people in the more higher uh, power in my company asked me if i would be interested in getting involved with in the olympic movement Not, not didn't put it, put it that way for Biden, but they asked me if i want to work for the bid and i said yeah absolutely of course and i jumped on it and then i became 100 there's there's a lot going there's a lot that went on there with respect to my transition from like working with multiple clients and then 100% um, Olympics. But I was able to do that, uh, not do that, but kind of join that team after a couple of months until the very end. To answer your other questions, if I remember them correctly, please you know, remind me if I'm not. But our, the contract that Weber had with uh, Tokyo 2020 was yes, it was only for the bid process. Um, and so once that was over, obviously 2013 September I'll never forget Argentina I was there it was amazing a lot of emotions obviously Um, after we won it was done more or less you know but the bid committee then becomes the organizing committee right Mm -hmm. as you might you might have heard in Japanese but anyways um and I my good aforementioned French friend and or former colleague uh, he actually went to the organizing committee not to kind of flaunt the little confidence I had at the time but I was also asked if I would be interested into the joint as well. But for reasons I could kind of talk for maybe seven hours, uh, I didn't want to. Uh, It shows other uh, decisions, so to speak. Please let me know if I'm not answering all your questions.
0: That's really interesting that the PR committee, you're saying a a good chunk of the PR committee becomes part of the organization committee for the 2020 Olympics.
1: Well, not maybe I misspoke. What I meant is at the PR company, there are various clients obviously, right. Uh, Again, no need to say names, but pharmaceutical companies, TV companies, whatever. Right. Um, And Tokyo 2020 was one of their many clients and per client, there's a different amount of people, right. Um, Depending on how big the project is, the magnitude, right. For Olympics, there's like four of us, I think, and three of us, including me, were like full-time Olympics, which I guess was kind of, I don't want to say unprecedented, but it was rare at the time compared to like a small scale retainer company maybe. So, yeah, it's not like our company, all of us, was working for the like, Tokyo 2020. We just had a team dedicated. Uh, and I was fortunately a part of that team.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, for that 2020 bid, um, I do remember Madrid. I believe it was one, one right? And maybe Paris. Um, not Paris.
1: Let's see if you remember. Majid is correct.
0: Um, what else? Uh, Istanbul.
1: Correct. Yeah. Good
0: um, United, but I, I thought the United States was was bidding for that. Am I incorrect? Uh, I think, in that,
1: I think you might be. I think honestly, so there's different phases, right? So in the very beginning, maybe a lot of cities kind of raised their hands saying they want to do it, and the U.S. I'm sure they did, but I can't remember which cities showed interest. Interesting.
0: I had no idea about Istanbul. Actually, now that I think about it, um, because um, I guess the ones, the subsequent events after Tokyo will be uh. Uh, the US and France, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering, as you were saying, it was very like samurai style and you were yes, the yes. only, you know, half American. Sure. Were there any doubts within your team that, you know, maybe your allegiances lied with the American invitation team? <laughs> Did you ever no, feel like no. you weren't part of that team?
1: Well, that would be a funny story. I wish I could tell something as cool as that. But again, like I remind you, there was there literally was no American bid. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was no there's, there was no allegiance to be questioned for. It was Tokyo, Madrid and Istanbul, you know, so.
0: Interesting. So um, following the marketing firm, the PR firm, you, you went on to work at Expedia. So following this sort of epic bid for the Tokyo 2020, you leave the company and um, you went out to go do, you know, what I kind of really wish I've done sometime in my life. And I recommend to anyone, right, who's in high school, went to college, college, after college or just even between jobs, uh, you took a good three, four months to travel the world, including um, going to the Brazil World Cup. So I was wondering um, if you'd like to share any episodes from that um, time period. Yeah, again, it's a pretty interesting time period from my life, right? I, despite the fact
1: that we won Tokyo 2020 and many people saying, oh, you should stay, it's going to look good on your resume, blah, blah, blah. For reasons uh, long reasons uh could um digress into but I, I just wasn't i didn't want to anymore i felt like my time was done i didn't want to be there for seven more years no way there were definitely cultural challenges to put it mildly as well um yeah and i i always wanted to travel i still want to travel that's a big passion of mine that's like half the reason why i became an international school teacher as well me personally we all choose professions for different reasons but anyways yeah um so
0: this this episode we 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 cut into two pieces right because um there were technical difficulties but we appreciate
1: Mm
0: -hmm. but we appreciate um, having you back and um i want to sort of bring it back to i think we we left off where you um had contributed to the tokyo 2020 and then Mm -hmm. you had left the company and um you know most most people, when they take a gap year, so they travel around the world, it, it tends to be like between high school and college or college Correct. and work. But you took this trip quite late, right? You would have already been in your mid, late 20s. Correct. And um, yeah, are there any episodes you want to share with us about backpacking? Maybe any tips for people who are going to go backpacking around the world?
1: Definitely, they should be better prepared than I was. Uh, specifically, yeah, got to do some due diligence on the countries you're visiting. Um, yeah, I was pretty spontaneous back then. As you get older, naturally, I think, you become a bit more careful, the vast majority of us. But anyways, out of all the countries I went to, uh, Myanmar slash Burma comes uh, across as a, one of the more interesting places I've, I've been to, owing to a multitude of reasons. But I'm kind of reminiscing over one uh, experience I had there where I'm trying to keep this succinct. Um, so, so again, t- things have changed perhaps since then, since 2014. But uh, when I was there in Burma slash Myanmar, whatever the correct uh, word is now, sorry. But um, people use dollars there and also the local currency, right? And so the local currency, it could be uh, crisp and or uh, what's the word crumbled? Crumbled, I guess. Um, But the U.S. dollars, it has to be completely crisp. Okay, and I brought U.S. dollars in there. Crisp US dollars I I uh withdrew, withdrew from a ATM in Bangkok, if I recall correctly. And then separately I obviously with the same ATM card, I was hopeful that I'll be able to withdraw money there. Uh surprise, surprise, I wasn't able to. Um, mm. but then I still had enough crisp dollars to kind of survive. So I thought I was kind of hopeful that I could get by. Forgot the exact context, but when I gave my hundred dollars or fifty dollars, whatever, crisp US dollars, dollar, whatever. Um at a train station, maybe? I can't remember. But the guy, girl, whatever, nonchalantly returned money to me, a change. And then after I got on the train, I realized that all the bills he gave me was not crisp at all. And so after that, I quickly realized that I'm not able to use it anymore, that money. And so I, was, I thought, oh, it'll be okay. I'll, I'll get by. But I, I, yeah, I was trying to buy things, exchange it with people, and I, I, I literally couldn't use it. And I remind you again, I couldn't, I couldn't withdraw money from the ATM either. So I was getting really freaked out. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. And so I begrudgingly and reluctantly, embarrassingly started to kind of talk to some people I met at the hostel, youth hostel I was staying at, uh, asking if I could borrow money, basically. But mind you, I met these people for like three hours max. So it was pretty awkward. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then naturally, they, they were uncomfortable, and rightfully so. And then I remember I met this Japanese girl by happenstance at some restaurant, and we just kind of, you know, started talking for the pure reason that we're both Japanese, I guess, right? Um, and after we exchanged contacts, you know, nothing serious there, whatever, but the next day, I thought maybe I could rely on her because, you know, uh, with a Japan connection, maybe I could borrow money from her, whatever, you know. And then I remember she told me which hotel she's at. And so I walked all the way to her hotel. It wasn't too far, but I got there and kind of told her my situation again, pretty embarrassingly, right? And I explained, then even again, naturally, understandably, she reluctantly kind of says, no, no, sorry, I barely know you. And I feel like crap, right? Basically, (laughs) I don't don't know what to do. I, I try to call the Japanese embassy, but it's a Sunday too. So I'm kind of stressing out as you can imagine. And I didn't know what to do. And then I forgot if someone suggested it or what, but it dawned on me that I could begin asking hotels maybe if I, if they could charge me, charge my credit card with a ridiculous fee 10, 10 to 20%, whatever transaction fee. And so they could give me cash. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And so after like two days of like mild hysteria, um, I was able to finally find a hotel. Allow me to charge my. And I didn't. I wasn't staying at this upscale hotel, right? Um, and they let me. Um, should they charge. They let me charge my credit card there and gave me cash. It took like a big hefty twenty percent fee, whatever. Uh, better than living out in the streets for the rest of my time in Southeast Asia, obviously. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty crazy story. I don't know if that country is still uptight about the money situation. But wow. It was intense.
0: So, if I'm not mistaken, you had yeah. a bunch of money that you couldn't use.
1: Correct. Well, I thought, I, yes, 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 exactly. Thank you. Yes.
0: That is such a weird situation. And, and uh, did they ever explain why it has to be Chris?
1: Yeah, they did, but it's been seven years and life has passed since then. I don't remember the exact, <laughs> I don't remember the exact intricacies, but I, I never really understood or agreed with the rationale.
0: That just the trauma remains.
1: Huh? Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was, it was wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess you primarily backpacked around, um, uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, but yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you were also in Brazil for a bit. Yeah. Um, so what was that like?
1: It was awesome. So specifically I was in Brazil for the world cup. At first I was in Southeast Asia for maybe two months or so. Um, have, have a friend, had a friend in Bangkok. So I was able to stay with her and use her place kind, kind of her as her base and travel around to Vietnam, Laos, Burma, Malaysia, Singapore, etc., And then You know, you and I are both football, soccer aficionados, right? So going to a World Cup, uh, the Brazil one, especially back then, the Japanese team had huge hopes. You know, we know how that went, obviously. But we really want, I really want to be there. And my kind of ambition was to go to to that uh, tournament, worldwide event, and then kind of hopefully find a job in Tokyo afterwards. So maybe like if, if my uh memory is correct i i traveled in southeast asia from march january to march came back to japan i don't know just did whatever april may maybe kind of mildly job search and hung out or whatever and then from june i flew to brazil and i was there for a world cup and it was a great great time to put in mali
0: it's it's quite the effort when people fly to these you know, destinations when World, World Cups take place. I've, I've never done that myself. I think the only World Cup I experienced was in 2002. I, I You were there too. Um, I was 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, do, I mean, this is a general question, but do you think it's worth it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it's hard to quantify, right? We're all different. But if you're a fan of something, if something means a lot to you, I think it's worth it someone could tell me they're a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and fly to the U.S. from like the Middle East to spend $2,500 the way I did. And I might be, I might be kind of perplexed, but for them, it means a lot. And so for me, yeah, it was a huge uh, deal. And with the risk of sounding cliche, it was the experience more than anything. Everyone always asks me, oh, which games did you go to? And I only went to like Russia versus Belgium. This is before Belgium became super strong as they are now. Um, But and it was cool for for real. It was a great experience, the atmosphere, all that stuff. But it was the experience outside, kind of just meeting other people. Uh, you're mingling with literally people from all over the world, and so that's what kind of resonates, or not resonate, but re- uh, remains with me forever. So, right so
0: you went to Brazil, to, and you only watched one game.
1: Correct. Yeah, exactly. The same reaction that you're kind of giving me right now. You know, not to get defensive, but some people are like surprised, right? But for me, it's just against experience there, meeting people um the nightlife um the history culture whatever it's just a big party quite literally
0: yeah that's, that's really interesting it's definitely one of those once in a lifetime kind of experiences huh because coming in coming up is what qatar um or Qatar, however you say it um exactly right right i don't think either of us are going to that and then 2026 is united states of america so
1: and mexico canada as well right i think it's like a con- conjunct, not conjunction but like a conglomerate thing i'm not too sure
0: yeah, so may, maybe 2026. but that Assuming the
1: pandemic cool. is over, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully sports will, will be back by then. This will be the distant past. Um, you then go on to work at Expedia. Mm-hmm. You go back to Japan. Mm-hmm. And then um, you make a pretty big decision um, to to totally leave the corporate world, leave the business world, pursue a master's in ed. And um, I asked this question to someone a few episodes ago although he became a teacher much earlier on and uh i think it was in his mid-20s um nate reasoner um whereas you decided to make this move in your 30s if i'm not mistaken
1: i think it was when i decided when i literally decided like internally i think i was like 28 or
0: 9 okay so late 20s close to 30 (laughs) and um I guess, yeah, big question is why, why go into teaching, right? And I mean, you've already had a pretty good foundation set up in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. make this big leap?
1: Yeah, again, I could talk about this topic forever, but I was never happy in the corporate world, right? I, I try three different professions, industries. I was in finance. I was in sports PR. I was at online travel and each one had its pros and cons and I was never fulfilled you know, I even made my hobby, my passion, sports, right, um, my job with the Olympics. And naturally, I, I mean, forget the money for a second, although it's obviously difficult in reality. But for the sake of conversation, like, it's kind of a dream job, right? You get to work for your country, city that you grew up in, uh, and you, you're able to contribute, however, in a meager level to bring the olympics to your respective city country that's pretty awesome right and like on the surface level but again like from a cultural perspective the, you know east versus west japan versus us long hours it was it was not I wasn't happy you know it was it was it was a good experience of course and i'm glad i met the people i did but i was not i could not see myself doing that for a long time let alone my entire life um expedia was okay uh the culture was definitely better right? it was more my style more mixed people like us more inter- intercultural by bicultural, blah, 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 international people. But again, at the end of the day, like I guess for me personally, I never really cared to to for business, as kind of um blunt as that sounds. Maybe, maybe you might concur, but from our community, it's so it's just like the course, right? To kind of join in the corporate world. And I don't mean to condemn that. We're all different, but it's just kind of this like herd approach for me, frankly, where people will just kind of do that because others are doing it. No offense if you're passionate about what you're doing, that's awesome. But I saw like half the people around me that weren't happy. And, and I was like, I don't want to be like that. So I kept struggling internally, like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? What am I passionate about? And it was really hard. My 20s were, were rough, you know, um, for me, you know, maybe not in, from the average person's perspective when they hear my life story thus far. But for me, it was tough. It was really, really, really tough, like figuring out what I want to do, blah, 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 to try to answer your question with respect to teaching. Um, it's, it had crossed my mind before, but I was definitely intimidated with the notion of going back to school, the the financial aspect of it, of course, we don't need to talk about how expensive universities are in the US. That's another topic for smarter people. Um, But, um, yeah, I guess what appealed to me was the international aspect of it, right? Like I, I, again, uh, if it hasn't been clear yet, I love travel, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I have a lifestyle? Like, what job will allow the lifestyle I like? Right. And so, yeah, like, I, I wish I could kind of look at you straight in the eye and say, I became a teacher because I wanted to inspire the generation and, like, f- save the world. You know, yeah, that's that's, that's a noble motive, you know. And of course, I feel like it's a calling and I care about it. It's a vocation. But yeah, it's also a big life, um, what do you call it, life choice decision. You know, I wanted more time than more money. Right. And, that was one big thing, right? And I, and I also knew on a more prag- pragmatic perspective, I, I did speak to many people in that field, were in that field, in that field, and they told me about the lifestyle, they told me about the amount they're able to save, et cetera, the long vacations as well. And then on the teaching side as well, like it was hard for me to kind of grasp initially, what would I possibly teach? Um, but I, I think also for me, um, I can't speak on your behalf, but I really struggled uh, constructing um, meaningful relationships with teachers as a student at ASIJ and I don't think that's a knock on ASIJ per se but it's more of a generational thing that just my opinion you know nowhere is perfect and I really struggled kind of developing bonds with teachers at the time and I was labeled as a troubled kid rightfully so at times but I do feel like I wasn't given enough of an opportunity to kind of uh, have a platform and express my feelings opinions blah 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 so a lot of people become a teacher for different reasons right um, some people might love their job they're like super passionate about US history and that's fine me personally, although I do like social studies right that's what I teach as you know more than anything for me like I wanted to kind of be a mentor for middle school kids you know more um, high school too I, I just think I just keep mentioning middle school to you right as you know because I just feel like that's more of a formative year where you could contribute mm-hmm. more like character building and stuff you know
0: It's definitely a crazier a crazier time hormonally and' right. <laughs> just socially
1: right and I and I was a crazy person and to an extent I have been you know so I feel like I relate as well and I I feel it's it's fulfilling for me when I'm able to kind of nurture those relationships and be there for them as well so yeah that's kind of my long-winded answer with respect to why I became a teacher the corporate world wasn't doing it for me I wanted a different lifestyle I wanted more time than money I wanted to travel and I wanted to have a more fruitful meaningful career
0: so it, it just seems to be like a combination of sort of this needing a, a work-life balance, and which is obviously um, for anyone who's worked in Japan, basically non-existent, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then wanting to uh, mentor younger students because you felt like, and I guess it's not a knock on your previous school or where right. we went to as a school, but maybe that that wasn't quite the support system wasn't quite there. You you were in Ecuador. Um, I know I often um confuse it sometimes with other places um no offense being, taken being in ecuador um what was that like i mean i i off the top of my head i can think of zero people i know apart from you <laughs> who have visited or lived in ecuador so uh, what right. was the life like there for uh two years is that correct or yep. three years yep.
1: my first teaching stint yeah two years um I'm not sure which direction you want me to go into because there's many directions I could go, but basically take, I so take I was, it in
0: your favorite direction. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was in Quito, the capital for two years, second highest mm. capital in the world after La Paz uh, in Bolivia. Um, I forgot the exact uh, altitude, but it's like close to Mount Fuji Heights. you know I hope I'm correct that's, that's what I could recall. you know but um, Quito was fine. it was okay. Um, with the risk of being kind of just sounding arrogant or um, spoiled, which I am for sure. It's just growing up in Tokyo and New York City, right? Uh, New York City is where I was born. I went there for university, as discussed briefly earlier. Like, um, Kito, it's chill, but it's very small. There's only like 2 million people, right? So as a single person kind of looking to, you know, socialize a bit more and do exciting things, it's not, it's, a, it's anything but a fair comparison to Tokyo, Uh, and or New York City when you look at it like that but it was just a bit boring for me in that sense right it was chill I like outdoor stuff I like outdoor activities a lot more than before hiking uh, just nature stuff in general you name it but yeah just again coming from Tokyo New York City it was a bit too low-key for me also naturally um, for me the stereotype regrettably did kind of apply in the sense that South America and or South Central America as you know via Honduras um it's dangerous you gotta be careful right we're work japan's like arguably the safest place maybe korea too right east asia you name it like it's the safest area on the planet right mm-hmm. but but in ecuador or quito like many other cities you know um in south america it's hard to compare how dangerous and or safe others are quito was okay but there were areas where i did not go right like i just i cannot walk around nonchalantly you know as mm-hmm. i would do just walking around in tokyo right so I felt a little bit, um, not confined, but kind of immobile at times. Um, it, Yeah, keto was fine. It's, it's, it's not really fair for me to kind of criticize it. It just, at my point in that lifetime, I was just trying to get my first teaching experience. In hindsight, like I said, for other things, it was a great experience. The food for me was hard. Again, I'm a bit spoiled with Tokyo, New York City, international cuisine. <laughs> But um, it was okay. Um, the students I met, uh, they were you know, like anyone. They're not perfect, but I was able to kind of create good bonds, meet, meet some good people. Um, but yeah, it was a mixed bag all in all. Um, definitely not as organized um, as well compared to what we're accustomed to in Japan, right?
0: It's definitely a, it's a tough bar to compete with when, when anyone is being compared to Tokyo when it comes Absolutely. to things like food, Absolutely. nightlife. Absolutely safety as you mentioned Mm -hmm. and then you you go on to um china obviously this is an incredibly interesting time to be someone who works in china Mm -hmm. and i guess I, i i say lives with you know quotation marks because um if i'm not mistaken you you live there but not really right you haven't been there for a while so maybe if you could just update us with your sort of COVID journey um, yeah. I think it started officially in January, but I think a lot of the movements were in February. So what's been it, I, the recording of this is early June. Mm-hmm. So we're about five months, six months into co- uh, since COVID came out. Uh, what has happened? What has transpired?
1: So basically, um, so after Ecuador, I was pretty keen uh put it more blunt desperate to return to asia right for a multitude of reasons you know uh, primarily because i wanted to be closer to home and um, i i was offered this position as shaman for those who don't know naturally it's in the south of china right across taiwan pretty cool location actually uh, within china i think pretty pretty too clean for china standards as far as i'm aware as well anyways so i took i accepted that offer i was there from uh, end of July, uh, because of um, 2019, because of orientation and whatnot, right? And I was there till January 18th or so, roughly. And I was mm. back in Japan for Chinese New Year's. And I was traveling with a buddy in the Kansai region. And gradually, I was hearing more and more about these crazy kind of anecdotes or headlines from China, specifically Wuhan, obviously about this virus. And initially I was trying to kind of brush it off, but the news cycle kept escalating and my colleagues were also kind of freaking out as well. Um, And I wasn't sure what was going on. And I was literally four days before returning to Shaman. Uh, For your reference point, Shaman is like super far from uh, Wuhan. It's like further than Fukuoka is to Tokyo. So it's pretty, it's pretty far. Right. Nevertheless. Right. I don't speak the language. I don't have many, if any, contacts there. It's all rather frightening. And so we were getting mixed signals from my school about potential uh, campus closures, et cetera, as well. Um, but finally, yeah, we officially got word on maybe January 28th, two days before my flight to China. Go ahead.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, that's so I mean, that's much yeah. earlier, actually, than I know we conversed around that time. But yeah. so that's before anything in Italy happened or anything in the united states obviously so china was already making moves in regards to closing borders and stuff as early as january Mm -hmm. wow that's incredible
1: yeah yeah well for the worst in my opinion but anyway so i was i was i've been here since basically in school uh immediately went to online learning remote learning virtual whatever you want to call it from february 2nd it's definitely been a work in progress I'm anything but a genius on the topic still but we've been doing it since february 2nd and the school opening date kept postponing 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 and i was you know it's good to be in japan obviously right it's home but i don't have like my own place here so that makes it a little bit challenging you know again first world problems for sure but i was able to stay at my friends houses time to time work at libraries cafes uh, the so-called family restaurants of Japan, Denny's, et cetera. Um, but gradually things start to kind of deteriorate over here too, right? Um, not in not, no comparison to other countries, frankly, although it's no competition. But I've been, yeah, I've been working at various places, aforementioned places. I think m- end of March, maybe March 24-ish, China officially closed its borders to all foreigners. And so now, a- after then, we've literally been stranded since, and we've been working remotely since, and it's been quite a challenge, um, but, I'm happy to say that we're about to wrap up uh, in four more days, three days and a half or whatever. And our school is set to reopen on September 1st. But the question is uh, if the borders will be open. So hopefully we don't have to do too much, if any, online learning again. But knock on wood, fingers crossed that the border is open before then.
0: Wow. So you, you've been shut out of the country from January 28th
1: yeah january well technically january 18th 18th because that's when i arrived here yeah
0: and uh, this recording is early june so we're talking about five almost five months
1: yep yep better in in the online learning now
0: Mm -hmm. wow yeah so this online learning obviously uh it was really big worldwide in march april especially when the u.s schools Mm -hmm. began implementing it um Mm -hmm. what has your experience been uh, teaching online
1: it's been mixed like anything right um well i think it's it's nice in the sense that like there's no mandate with respect to how many like um lectures we have to give a week or i mean we we have general freedom you know uh in terms of how we organize your classes and i'm able to kind of arrange my schedule accordingly as well so that's kind of nice right i have i probably i definitely feel like i have more free time but obviously it's it's hard to you know, you literally now have to kind of enter everything into the computer now, whether even if it's for formative assignments, things that would have been sufficient in the past verbally orally in the classroom. Now, like we were expecting more to kind of type everything in, right? Extensive comments as well. That was painstaking to put it nicely. That is, that was. Um, and also, it's kind of, it's hard to have a dynamic class, right? It's when you can't see each other. I mean, yeah, we could do video as we are right now. It's better than nothing. I definitely, am happy to say that if this happened 20 years ago, we would have been screwed, right? Um, Conversely, I'm convinced more than ever, personally, frankly, that we cannot complete everything online, you know, whether that's, you know, in classrooms or hospitals or whatever, like there is a place for human contact. And I really feel like the kids, the teachers, we're all social beings, we're humans, right? So I, it's just been tough for me to kind of have hold of, you know, uh, my class when it's all virtual. Yeah. It works out to an extent. Yes. It's possible to an extent, you know, but it's just kind of hard to have that same dynamic. I think, you know, that face-to-face human contact
0: in education, I think, especially, you know, with high schoolers, it's really important to have that. Um, I guess that human element, right. That human touch. And do you feel like part of that is negated and lost because, you know you're online, and and what have you done to basically overcome that? If you've been able to overcome that in any way,
1: yeah, I think that's a fantastic question, and I will be lying if I told you I feel like I've been I've been able to overcome it per se. But one thing I've tried to do, not to get too quirky or uh, not quirky but technical, with respect to the engagement, trying to keep the classes interesting, mildly, moderately for some of the kids. You know, right? you can't satisfy everyone, right? But because we can't have dynamic discussions, right? Um, like in a classroom format. I mean, the, ki- the shy kids are, are shy regardless, right, of online or not, you know. But I really try to kind of think of how I could be creative as a teacher and giving the kids a platform to kind of express themselves in, in a diverse array of ways, right? So whether that's discussion board assignments or that's flip assignments, where they have to talk orally to each other, you know, not just kind of submit an assignment to me and I just kind of look at it. And I'm like, okay, great, you know, blah, blah, blah. I make them talk to each other. Or respond to each other on Word docs, right? Just kind of have them discuss. I think engagement, don't want to be too cliche here, but it's so important, right? Not a one-sided approach where the kid just submits something to you as a teacher. Right. But make it more um, interconnected. Have them discuss with each other. Make them feel a part of a team, so to speak.
0: Have you um, are there any platforms that you would recommend? I think you mentioned Flipgrid. I like Flipgrid.
1: Um, I'm trying to think I'm off the top of my head actually. Oh, I'm blanking out. You put me on the spot. Um, there's there's many things, um, but I, you know one thing I've actually done um, in China. Uh, this isn't breaking news, but obviously Google Docs doesn't work, right? Um, so we have to use Microsoft products. I've been pretty proficient um, on in the products as a result now, which is good, I guess, for my long-term career. It doesn't hurt to learn these things. But um, I'll make them. I like to make them annotate documents online, right? So I'll oh, make wow. them. I'll, I'll literally make them, like. It's all about critical thinking, right? I'll literally make them copy and paste a text, an article I assign to them. I'll have them co- uh, paste in an online Word doc and then I'll have them annotate parts of the article. I'm like, what do you find interesting? Why? What surprises you? Why? What confirms what you already knew? Why? And then I'll make them end their annotations with a question for a classmate to respond to if you follow me. So it, then I'll make... An- oh, sorry, that's
0: cutting, but that. is this is annotation done through a software or comments, comments, just
1: comments, just online word. Same with Google docs, word docs, just comments. Right. So I'll make them engage with the reading. Again, it's easy to say, right? Like when we were students, the teacher just says, okay, read this. It's like, okay, great. Why? How? Like, you know, just, it's a passive activity. Reading has to be like, I hated reading when I was their age. So I don't blame them. I'm probably too blunt with them and tell them how I hated reading when I was their age. I get it, you know, but so (laughs) how can I make it more engaging? So Mm. again, I want to make, I want to force them to try to actively read. Right? So yeah, all they do uh, with respect to the technical element is I, they, I make them uh, write comments in. I'll make them highlight parts, give me something surprising, explain why, minimum five sentences, give me something disturbing, what caught your attention, why, and end your comments with a question for another classmate. And then I'll have the students share their documents to each other and then I'll kind of review it um, at my convenience, more or less.
0: And you have primarily uh, older students, if I'm not mistaken. Are they high so school? I actually,
1: have, I actually have seventh grade, eighth grade, eleventh grade, and twelfth grade. And the, wow. the and the activity I'm mentioning right now is actually for middle school.
0: So seventh grade all the way to twelfth grade. The the reason I ask is it seems like tech literacy is is the big issue when it comes to you know teaching online. And I feel like um, I personally saw primarily grade eleven and twelve. So for me, I feel like my challenges have been much lesser in comparison to say someone elementary who teaches um, yeah. elementary i've actually was i was just even speaking um to someone the other day who teaches three-year-olds and yeah. uh, she was saying that's, hey, that's quite rough yes yeah. so when you're teaching three-year-olds on zoom um the mm-hmm. limitations are very much there like you need someone to help them with the tech yeah. whereas yeah. you know when you have a 17 year old um the expectation is that they can still handle themselves online, you know, when it comes to documents. Mm-hmm. and Absolutely. Submitting. So, yeah, as we uh, wind down to towards the end of this conversation, mm-hmm. um, first of all, thanks for being on. Thanks for being our fifth not guest.
1: Not at all. I should be the first, but it's all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll be uh, maybe, maybe the hundredth. Um, sure, we can talk sure, maybe sure. deeply about um, something a bit maybe, more esoteric. Maybe I'll be
1: in North Korea then. Yes. Who knows? <laughs>
0: yeah with the way things are going in 2020 I feel like anything is possible indeed, really. indeed. but um I want to basically just leave the you know give, give you a platform here at the end for a few minutes um if if you can just share with uh the viewers, uh, which are probably about like two people, but nonetheless maybe the two people who are watching um you know what's what's going on in your life um what's to come. I know there's a lot of things you don't know, especially being someone employed in China. Um sure. but nonetheless, um if you could maybe share that with us, that'd be great. And maybe also sorry to add one more thing. Uh just you know, we've we've spoken about a variety of things, but you are in education, so maybe just you know, maybe your your any, anything you'd want to share with anyone about international education, whether it's it's a parent or someone who aspires mm-hmm. to become a teacher and so on, that'd be great. So sorry for that long winded question. No, no, I want to pass over.
1: Not at all. Um Hmm. I, don't, I can't think of words of wisdom off on my head with respect to international education, but I, I think it's definitely an interesting career. It's definitely, definitely a challenging one. But talk about a profession that kind of forces you to get out of your comfort zone and grow as a person, right? Like both you and I could have stayed in Tokyo, uh, worked at decent corporations, right? And utilize our bilingual skills and that's fine. And again, that, that's okay. People around us do that and that's all right. Uh, If I may offer my unsolicited opinion, um, I do think um, the careers you and I have chosen, it's hard to measure, again, like fruitfulness, but I think it's rewarding in their own respect because you engage with so many different people. You literally live in a different country um, and it's eye-opening. And, you know, I don't want to, it's hard to kind of, I don't want to flaunt too much about myself, but I definitely feel like I've grown so much in the last three years or two years in Ecuador, one year in China. Uh, not to mention the pandemic, obviously, um, but yeah, it's, it's it's a scary decision. I was super scared to join the international school circuit, but it was literally the best decision of my life. And I'm so glad I did it. The money will come later, um, obviously, more, more than in the initial time. Um, with respect to the current pandemic, again, I don't have the best words of wisdom, but for the two people listening to me, maybe your parents. <laughs>
0: um, I, I guess that's four, maybe four of them. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But let, you know, but not to be too dramatic, but let's support each other, right? I think it's so easy to kind of judge one another, right? The worst parts of human beings are kind of exacerbated right now, right? Pointing fingers, oh, look at him, look at her. He's doing this. She's so irresponsible. Oh, my gosh, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, my gosh, she got the virus. What was she doing? I mean, we got to support each other right now. Let's be compassionate right i'm not i'm no martin luther king last i checked but i think what i do know is kind of the basic decency in human beings and being there for one another and that's the that's the least i could do and the little financial uh you know effort not effort but financial donations or whatever i could i could provide to those who really need it i wish i had more money but otherwise it's just emotional support we could give each other right friends friends or family or acquaintances you name it and i just think we really got to support each other and it's hard to see the end of the light, uh, living under uncertainty is rough, obviously. Um, but I think the only thing we could do is to kind of do what we can control what we can and help each other however we can. So I hope, uh, the four people or two listening to me right now concurs.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Probably our dad's wouldn't be, so it's probably two, uh, <laughs> but yeah, again, th- thanks for, um, uh, being on the show. Um, appreciate it. Um, I enjoyed nice it. Nice to have you back on so we can maybe specifically focus on something a bit more niche, esoteric, maybe another sure, time.
1: Sure, sure. sure. Sounds good.
0: And yeah, so, um, you know, remember to have crisp bills when you go to, was it Myanmar or Burma? Yeah. I always get confused. Yes, with yes, yes. Yeah,
1: might have changed, but yes, yes.
0: You know and it's interesting to hear from someone who you said about finance pr travel um various backgrounds and now in teaching um it seems like you uh you know you just never know quite where you're going to be and now with this pandemic i guess you're in japan but hopefully uh you'll be in china this fall absolutely so uh thank you for being on and uh that was tokyo alumni podcast episode number five thank you andrew
1: hey, see you <laughs>